Hey there. We're Megan, Lauren, and Lindsay. We're three teacher advocates who've been where you are and know what you're going through. We believe that teachers are as important to the education system as the curriculum, and our goal is to support you as a teacher and a person. This is everything your teacher prep didn't prepare you for. Welcome to Real Teaching 101. Hello, teacher friends. Welcome to a very special Real Teaching 101. This is Megan, and I have a special guest with us today, Alexis Fernandez. Hi, Alexis. How are you? Hey, and you call me Allie. Call me Allie. Allie. Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a long day, but it's Friday, and I'm so happy to be talking to you. I've been looking forward to this all week. Yay, I'm so glad. You are a former teacher, transitioned into, would you say, a completely different realm other than education? You know, it's so funny because people always ask me, you know, okay, you're in financial services now, you know, that's, and yeah, it's very different from the classroom, but I tell people that the things I loved about being a teacher, I still get to do. I still help people reach their goals. I still encourage, I still motivate, I still inspire. I still provide information, resources, access, working with families, managing relationships. So a lot of the day-to-day work besides, you know, all the numbers is actually quite similar. (laughs) I think that's so great because- I feel like what we try to to tell people who are looking to transition out of the classroom right now, and there is a a lot, it's so easy to feel like we talk a lot about people falling into that, like, just a teacher, you know, and I think I I, people say that same that and I feel like it goes hand in hand with the um, those who can't teach, which ooh, that's another thing that like, don't get me started. But I feel like you're a great example of someone who took those teaching skills, and you really did transition them into you know, to a different field. But like you said, like, I think so many teachers worry about when they leave, they're going to miss certain aspects. So I love hearing mm-hmm. you say that there's so many things like during your day to day that yeah. you still really love. First thing I thought we could talk about is, mm-hmm. can you explain a little bit about when you knew it was time for mm-hmm. you to transition out of teaching? Because I know I think you had said when you first went to college, right. it was for teaching. You know, it's funny, teaching wasn't even my first stop. So I was an English major in college. I went to Vassar College. I graduated in 2018. And I just knew I loved books and I knew I loved reading, didn't know what I wanted to do with it, but I figured it out. And the way that I kind of got into teaching was I was recruited via LinkedIn um, by someone who worked at Success Academy. And at that time, it was actually a pretty transitionary point in my life. You know, I was a senior in college and I was actually planning on going into higher ed. I was actually planning on going into student affairs because I was a first generation college student and I spent a lot of my college time being, you know, I was an RA, I was at our LGBTQ center as an intern, I worked at our like cultural centers. And so a lot of that student affairs stuff was really, really motivating to me. And again, same thing, helping people reach their goals, get to the next step really resonated with me. Um, I was a senior and I was planning on going home for about a year or so, save up money to go to grad school. And unfortunately, I'm from Puerto Rico. And unfortunately, that year, Hurricane Maria hit. And so that kind of kiboshed my plans to uh, go home right after graduation. Yeah. So I had to like figure something out quick. (laughs) 
<laughs> and literally the same day I decided, I was like, oh, wow. Like this was literally a week after home. I was like, I can't go home. I got a LinkedIn message from a recruiter. And that's how wow. I ended up working at Success Academy. That's how I ended up teaching. And my first year I taught eighth grade English. Wow. Um, then my second year and into my last year I taught fifth grade English. I have to tell you, I have so much respect for middle school teachers. <laughs> when Lord and I, that's how the two of us met. She taught middle school and I taught elementary and we were at like a pre-K, they call it TK in California, through eighth grade uh, school. And one one day Lauren said to me, I don't know how you teach the first graders. They always look like they have jam hands. Like they always look like they're sticky. <laughs> they do and, look sticky. <laughs> right. And I laughed so hard and I was like, I don't know how you do middle school. Like I feel like I Raging would last. Hormone monsters. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I would last like three minutes and then the first time someone rolled their eyes at me, like I would be fired. But Oh yeah, no, I... <laughs> I thrived. Yes. Uh, maybe if we have some time, I'll tell you a funny story of how I dealt with some of my students um, get, gaining their respect. Because oh, yeah. it's hard. You know, I taught in the South Bronx, and I'm wow. not from the South Bronx. And I taught eighth graders who thought they were very grown <laughs> and did not want to read To Kill a Mockingbird. I'll tell you that much. But I loved it. But in terms yeah. of when I knew it was time to transition, and I knew, I mean, this was in, during the pandemic, and I knew that something was off. But the culture at my school was very much... You know, you just need to be better. Like everything, if anything goes wrong in your classroom and keep in mind, you know, what's happening in the world at that point, right? Like the numbers are your responsibility. The behaviors are your responsibility. The parents are your responsibility. And so I thought to myself, I just need to be better. I am failing. I am a disaster. I am burnt out. And by burnt out, I mean, literally I was having nightmares about work every single day. I was having like panic attacks, logging on to Zoom, like cry. It was a whole thing. And... I just said to myself, I need to be better. I need to figure something out. I decided to get my master's degree <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. And well, I was like, hey, a crazy line of thought. Uh, I swear to God. But I was like, <laughs> let me get my master's degree and I'll have more skills and I'll be able to be the kind of leader I need to be in this building and in the school and in my relationships in order to overcome this. Because I thought I was the problem. And I say, hey, there was nowhere to go. You couldn't do anything. Might as well get your master's degree. <laughs> You know, that's what I did. So I went, I, it was completely online and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And was one of the best decisions I ever made because I thought I was the problem, but I got my master's degree in organizational leadership. And as I learned more about managing teams, as I learned more about how to build a culture, how to motivate people, how to set goals, you know, servant leadership, authentic leadership, I started looking around the leadership at my school and looking around the culture at my school and being like, wait a minute. And keep in mind, I joined right out of college. You know, I was there. I was in the sauce, you know, (laughs) that was my only experience with teaching. And I was like, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. Right. And this is not my fault. Just me. Exactly. (laughs) This is not my fault. And this is, and then you have to kind of take off your martyr hat and be like, this is not, this is not my fault. And this is not something I can fix. And so being in my master's program, like really opened my eyes to that. And I still wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I had an idea that I would wait till the end of the year because I'm, uh, yep. <laughs> I, I wanted to wait until the end of the year. Yeah. I wanted to do it. But then right before winter break, that was at the end of 2020, I had a really tough confrontation with my principal. Again, I won't go into like details, you know, right. but I was just done. Mm-hmm. I just have 
these are unfair expectations. And he could tell that I was had been pulling away, had been spending less time. I was not doing the most like I used to. Mm-hmm. But one, I was in school. And two, I was like slowly realizing, I'm like, wait a minute. like Taking advantage of, yep. Being taken advantage. So I stopped doing them. And he saw that. And instead of being like, hey, you know, good for you for setting boundaries. You know, glad to see you're taking care of yourself. It was, you don't care about kids. You don't care about your team. And instead of just folding like I would have before and begging for forgiveness and thanking him for the feedback. <laughs> Whew. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. That was like almost, almost two years ago. And I still like am feeling yeah. the emotions I felt in that moment. I said no. And I left over winter break. And the hardest part for me was I wasn't able to tell my students I was leaving yeah. because it was virtual. But, and I'm lucky. I still had friends in the building who yes. were able to convey my messages and, you know, say what <laughs> I wanted to say. But that was my moment. Like it, there was a lot leading up to it, but there was a moment in that confrontation where I realized what the old me would have done in that situation and what me with boundaries and greater insight and the love for myself was going to do in that situation. I love hearing that because there are so many teachers right now who have people around them saying all those same things like, oh, you can't leave. You're so good. Or, oh, you can't leave. Think about the kids. And and before, it was so funny while you were telling me that, I was thinking like before I had that like the same kind of thought process like, oh, I never leave in the middle of school. You're like, oh, but now you know what? I am, we like to say here in our ambitious ed family that like we're teacher yeah. advocates. Like mm-hmm. not that we shouldn't be student advocates because we absolutely should. But it's that kind of like putting your uh, mask on first before you help the person next to you on the airplane kind of thing. Like you can't fill with an empty cup. Exactly. And so like if teachers are not taking care of themselves and and, like those basic needs aren't being met. Yeah. How are we going to do the best for our students? Well, I think you have like a very motivational story here because like so many people, I think, like dream about having that moment that like, and I'm done. <laughs> it really it really was kind of movie like. I remember yeah, okay. on Zoom, right? It's on Zoom. I'm just staring at him and I'm like, and keep it's like six PM. And here's the thing, here's the tea. So the way this meeting happened was, you know, we'd been having a lot of staff leadership conflict issues over the pandemic. And he had sent out an email to the entire staff saying, I want you all to schedule time in my calendar to give me feedback on your virtual experience. So I log on to the meeting like, great, let me give you my feedback on the virtual experience. And he stops me and he's like, Ali, actually, listen, I want to talk to you about something and proceeds to just boom, 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 boom in the meeting that I thought was going to be my chance to have my voice. Right. Any type of just even changing jobs is hard, even if for teachers who want to stay in education, like going from one school to the next, all of that is difficult. But then when I think about it, what you did, which was like changing your entire career and like we're LinkedIn friends and I feel like, (laughs) yeah, there that's so what I see so much of on LinkedIn right now is people looking to change the career. What advice would you have for anybody looking for that complete kind of shift? Think about your narrative. And I say this as a former English teacher, (laughs) as a writing teacher, you need your beginning, middle and end. You need your here's where I started. Here's where I want to go. And here's the process I've gone through to get there. If you are looking to transition and if you're whatever field, whether it's tech, whether it's science, whether it's finance, whether it's the business world, you have so if you have those skills and yes, you do. Everyone has those skills. You can Make your own experience. You can, if you can tell your story, you can get anywhere. And the reason that I say that is 
the way that I got my job now and my career path and everything, I didn't apply for this job. I met a mentor in my master's program who had a relationship with a partner at this firm. I told him, my, I told this mentor my story and he said, Ali, I think I have a place for you. It was because I was able to tell my story and able to say, these are my goals. I know I want to help people. I know I need something that is flexible. I know I need something where I can be a leader. I know I need something where I am, you know, in charge of my schedule and in charge of, you know, who I'm dealing with, and I'm really given that capacity to grow. Those were my priorities. That's such a great example of having those communication skills, which I think is a huge teacher trait. And 100%, just being percent, right? Hundred percent. And being personable. And I would tell my friends that I used to think, you know, you could find something in common with anyone. Like hundred percent. Yes. And so like in an interview, in any type of networking, like I can find something with anybody, something to, to talk to them about. And everyone has that ability. Like I, I know some people kind of fear that kind of small talk thing, but like uh, give the gab. Yeah. And it's just finding that connection mm-hmm. that makes you memorable to that person. So as like exhausting as it can be, and I know for people looking to change careers, like you already, you, you, you know, the collective you teachers, yeah, the royal we, <laughs> yes, exactly. You have those communication skills. You communicate with large groups of people all the time. Who cares if they're kids? That's probably way more fun they're conversations. People. Kids are people. <laughs> and really the communicating with kids teaches you the most important thing about communication, which is being clear mm-hmm. and being, you know, persuasive and being confident. Like to get up in front of a room every single day and have a room full of fifth graders do what I need them to do. I need to be clear. I need to make them understand why I need them to do what they need them to do. And I need to be confident about it so they know I'm not messing around. And they have (laughs) no type of filter. So if you're brave enough, that's how I feel about teaching first grade. I'm like, look, if there is something in my teeth, if there is something like if I forgot something, if I made a mistake, if whatever, not 28 of those little bodies is about to shout at me something I did wrong. The other day I uh, had gotten a new mascara and I guess it was like darker than what I had been previously wearing. And a little girl in my class came up and she was like, what did you do that thing to your eyes for? (laughs) Like they notice everything. So like, I strongly think if you are brave enough to get up and talk in front of a room of children and teach them and and, and get their unfiltered feedback. You can do anything on the planet. Yes, and 100%. And it's so funny, you know, going back to the story about how I, you know, met my mentor and how I got into this firm in the first place, it was literally that kind of conversation where I said, and Bruce, Bruce is his name. I said, you know, Bruce, this is what I need. This is where I am. I don't know where I want to go, but I know I can't be a teacher anymore. And he's, he had been in financial services for 30 plus years. Very, very successful man in the field. And he said, Ali, have you ever thought about doing what I do? And when I tell you I laughed in that man's face... And I said, sir, I was an English major. I specifically chose both institutions of higher learning I went to because they would not make me do math. Yes. I have not done math in any substantial way since I took the SAT. (laughs) You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. No, I'm with you, girl. I teach first grade. I could do first grade math. (laughs) And I said, I got English. (laughs) On what planet? 
could I be a financial advisor? Because again, I had no again, I had no concept of that field. That was talk about, you know, the trash you have in your brain about, you know, oh, what I can do, what I can't do. That was so beyond anything that I had ever considered for myself. You know, very I had a very limited mindset at that point. And he said, Ali, listen, anyone can learn the math and concepts involved in this field. Anyone. The hard part of this job is going out, getting your clients talking to people, maintaining relationships, knowing how to help them, knowing how to manage their emotions, knowing how to ask people for introductions and get on the phone and ask people for their business. That's the hard part. And I was like, that kind of sounds a little like what I'm doing. And he said, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That is why I brought this to your attention. (laughs) He's like, yes, the impetus of this conversation. Yes, yes. Kind of the light bulb went off. And I was like, all right, listen, I'll listen. I will go because he had a relationship with a partner at my firm. And I was like, fine, I'll go and talk to Josh and I'll see what happens. And here we are. Those skills are so transferable to anything. Can you talk a little bit more about the the narrative and then also the personal branding? I'm super interested okay. to learn more about that. And is that something that you think would help teachers looking to transition? Short answer to that last question, yes. Personal branding is important for everyone in the age of LinkedIn as an incredible free tool for us to literally build an entire network, an entire professional platform for ourselves. A personal brand helps everything. And the reason that I say that is because, again, I'm in a very entrepreneurial field. I'm in a very business-oriented field now in that I built my entire – like, I did not come in with a natural network. Like, I – obviously, I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. I love meeting people, but I didn't come in with a natural market good for financial advising, if that made sense. So I was – I came in knowing I need to do something that will attract the kind of people that I can do business with. Mm Mm-hmm. And will make them want to work with me. And I know I'm already coming at a disadvantage because I'm young, because I'm a woman, because I'm all these things that people do not picture when they think of financial advisors or people, you know, to manage their wealth. And so I said to myself, all right, I'm assuming that these things are weaknesses. Again, that limited mindset. I said to myself, all right, why am I thinking about these things so much as weaknesses? And then I think to myself, all right, what can the young former writing teacher woman do extremely well that nobody else in this firm can do? Social media. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, young people. Social media. Um, And so I just got my ass on LinkedIn. And I said to myself, I am going to put myself out there and I'm going to be authentic about it because I just, I'm in this master's program where I'm learning every single day about authentic leadership, what motivates people, what drives people to make certain decisions. Like if I want people to decide to work with me, I need to show up and be who I am and be a professional and whatever it is. And I think you do such a great job of doing that on LinkedIn, where it's like, not only are your posts like inspirational and professional, but there's a a nice like personal touch too. And I I love that because there are things with LinkedIn where like, I think some people are not sure how to, I was going to say play the field and I don't know if that's (laughs) the right terminology, but you know, they want to be like just professional, professional, but, but like we are real people. So I I think. And that's only an asset. That's only an asset, especially now as the barriers between personal and professional are so broken broken down due to the pandemic. You know, teachers can benefit so much from personal branding just because, you know, again, it never hurts to build a network. It never hurts to build connections and to have a professional home for yourself. You know, the same way that people say 
keep updating your resume. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're happy in your job, like consistently update your resume, consistently be soft searching. Maintaining a LinkedIn needs to be on that list. And it's also just a good self-reflective practice. It's a good creative outlet. You know, it's good to say, sit down with yourself and say, what are my values? What do I think about the world? What, you know, what do I bring that is different, that is special? Because you never know who's looking at that. And again, as a self-reflective practice, for me at least, thinking about my LinkedIn posts and reading other people's, it's a way for me to feel engaged in the larger professional world and feel very human. I feel like I'm very much a part of things. And you can get so bogged down in the myopic day-to-day minutia of grading papers and managing behaviors and parent-teacher conferences and talking to leadership and day-to-day that you drown in it. And if you're able to take a step back, even for just like five minutes a day and see, you know, what's going on in the world of work? What are some of these leaders thinking, you know, and be able to express yourself and be able to say like, these are my thoughts. This is my purpose. This is my vision and inspire others. That inspires you. When I write something and someone responds to it in a powerful way, I feel good. And teachers need every damn thing they can get their hands on to feel good. You know? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. And you know, I I feel like with teachers, one of our episodes we did a while ago was like turning PLCs into PSCs instead of personal or professional learning communities, like professional support communities. Uh And I think LinkedIn can be that for teachers because there are days like I might not see another adult. (laughs) All day long. And it can feel very isolating. And and I think like social media does have the ability to kind of like really extend that professional world to teachers. And it's just kind of cool to like, you know, kind of grow outside of your own profession too. Like I don't have any intent on leaving education anytime soon, but I really love some of the other things I've started to learn about. Now, one thing I know that you mentioned on LinkedIn, and this is like something I love, and we've done uh, episodes about this too, and that is boundaries. One of my favorite, favorite things, things in the world. Yes. I so thought- Love me a good boundary. Yes. I thought we <laughs> had this in common. Now, it sounds like already that- this career change helped tremendously with enforcing your personal boundaries. 100%. Now, could you give advice if you think back to like your teacher mind where we are traditionally known mind for, beliefs. Right, exactly. Uh, kind of known for not being super great with the boundaries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is there oh, yeah. any any advice you would give to teachers? I guess when it comes to enforcing boundaries, I think that's that's something people struggle with. It really does depend on the culture of the individual school. Like, for example, if I had been in another school with a different culture, I may have not had to leave, frankly. I could have probably enforced my boundaries and it would have been fine. But since that was not the expectation, I suffered for it, which is why I ultimately had to leave. So any advice I give here, you know, obviously take with a grain of salt and learn to recognize when your boundaries are being violated. Because at the end of the day, you can enforce a boundary all you want. But if leadership or if anything in your world of work consistently insists upon violating that boundary, it doesn't matter how clearly, how well, how strongly you enforce your boundary. If it is consistently being violated, then you need to exit the situation. And that's hard. And that's so nice to hear because I feel like this is another thing where it can feel like you're doing something wrong. Abusers are going to abuse. And I know that's strong language to use, but you can be in an abusive work environment. I was in an abusive work environment where boundaries were systemically not respected 
where I was expected to be answering phone calls from parents at 9, 10 p.m., where I was expected to be at, you know, 7 a.m. meetings, where I was expected to meet these ridiculous expectations of test scores in the middle of a pandemic and answer for them. That's abusive. But that goes back to saying it's not your fault if your boundaries are being violated. And that's what I think a lot of the problem is. I don't think the problem is we're not saying our boundaries. I don't think the problem is we're not setting boundaries. You know, we're human beings. You know, it should be acceptable for us to be like, hey, at 5.30 p.m. on a Friday, I want to close the damn laptop. There are times that I think people forget that teachers are people like 100% when it came to martyr. Yes. And when it came to the pandemic, like, you know, there were times I wanted to say like, you know, I'm also a human, right? I have family members. I'm worried about people. I have friends and family who are sick. I have that Mm -hmm. whole thing because I I think it can really easily when, when people start to send those nasty emails or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is can kind of overlook that. And it makes me think like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I wish there was even the fact that we wouldn't even have to to state those boundaries. Like someone would think, oh, it's 830 at night. I'm not going to email this teacher and, and, and expect right? a response. <laughs> Can I tell you last year, I had a parent email me 15 times one night between 1 and 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm not even kidding. I like took a picture of it. But with questions that needed to be answered, or if she at least wanted them to be answered, literally before school started, they were questions about like, we always joke about how the kids think the teachers live at school where they're like, you go home, you don't sleep here. I'm like, I truly, I feel like some of the parents think that too. Like, do you think I just stare at the wall when your child leaves the room and just wait for one of you to contact me to talk about your precious child all day long? Like, it's rough. It is. And so that's why, you know, I go back to saying, like, I don't think the problem is teachers have a hard time setting boundaries. I think people have a hard time respecting teachers' boundaries because of the culture around education. 100%. I feel like I want that to be, like, our quote of the episode. Like, it's not our fault. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. Everybody rewind that and listen to it again. So. The next thing that I was really, really excited to talk to you about, and this is something that I feel like isn't, I I don't know, I don't know if this is like, I feel like something we're not taught about. And when I say we, I don't know if I mean Americans, teachers, women, but I don't feel like that collective we is adequately prepared for financial wellness. Mm-hmm. And as teachers, I, I feel like it's it's difficult because you're not usually dealing with a whole lot to begin with. Right. <laughs> and yeah, okay. it's no secret that like finances finances and teachers not typically known for that, you know, harmonious relationship. I would love to help. That was one of the things when we first started the podcast was trying to help teachers financially any way we can. Maybe that's like investing, maybe anything that's going to make their financial life easier. So is there anything you wish that more teachers knew or did with with their paychecks when they got them? I, you know, again, I do not consider it my business and with my clients. (laughs) Right. You know, I always tell my clients, listen, I'm not going to slap the Starbucks out your hand. I'm not going to be, I'm not here to be your budgeter. I am not here to be, you know, you're a grown adult. Like, cause I feel like when it comes to money conversations, especially like millennials, you know, mm-hmm. like the under 40 crowd, any money conversation we've ever had has just been like tinged with shame. Oh just yeah. Tinged it's, with because, it's because we're drinking the Starbucks and eating the avocado toast. That's why none of us have houses, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when I'm framing conversations around financial wellness, it's not, okay, you need to do X, Y, Z with your paycheck. It's about about mindset and it's about framing. For example, philosophically, when I'm doing my planning process, I always tell my clients, you know, you need to pay yourself first. 
And there's two ways you need to do that. One is through protection, meaning that, you know, and this is the first dollar. The first dollar goes to protecting what you have, meaning making sure you know know, what your benefits package is at work. If it covers, and most of the time it doesn't, group benefits is not designed to be full coverage, but what you need in terms of life insurance, what you need in terms of disability insurance. And if you're not sure how much you need, then you need to speak to an advisor. And then you need to speak to someone like me who can walk you through your finances, how much you make, how much you could be worth. In the business, we call it something called a human life value. And I know it sounds horrible. Like I hate, I hate this term so much because I'm like, oh my God, how am I like quantifying the value of a human life with a dollar sign? But that's what it's called. It basically meaning that if God forbid something happens to you and you cannot work, because that's the thing a lot of people don't think about. They think about life insurance, but there's a lot of things that can hurt you and prevent you from working that won't kill you. Yep. And we saw that a lot with the pandemic, Mm -hmm. a lot of long COVID, a lot of people unable to work for long periods of time, previously healthy, previously kicking. I see that all the time in my line of work. And so when I say the first dollar goes to protection, making sure that you are covered for those kinds of things, and then going towards savings, and then making sure that, you know, whatever you have left, that is for your lifestyle. So what I talk with my clients a lot about is shifting the mindset of saving spending. And again, this is not teacher specific, shifting the mindset of saving spending in the sense that for the majority of us, and I include myself in this, this is something that I work on day to day. Our spending is unconscious and our savings is conscious, meaning that we're going to spend what we spend and not really think about it. And then whatever we have left, very consciously being like, all right, I have this amount left. That is what I'm going to save. And so kind of flipping that and saying, all right, here's what I'm going to save. Here's what I've committed to saving. A number, by the way, that you have like worked out the math on because you need to have an actionable and feasible goal. Like I would never work with my clients and we decide on a savings number every month. So they're like eating top ramen every night and like hating me. I would right. never want that. <laughs> right. I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, I want you to eat ramen because it's delicious. Not because you have to. <laughs> Yes, not feeling like you're you're that college student again, unless you want to. Exactly. Sometimes it's fun to feel like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. All that is to say, it's very much mindset things. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, you should buy this instead of this. It's not, you should buy this stock instead of this stock. It's mindset. Putting my protection first, then savings, and then growth. Making sure that your first dollar is going towards making sure what you have, you know, the foundation is there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, frankly, teachers don't make enough money. And just making sure that you're staying healthy. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, th- those long-term financial costs of like not being healthy is when you're doing, you know, so much and you're burning yourself out, you know, is being cognizant of that is important. I will say one thing not to do very quickly in terms okay, of this, because I've seen this so much and I've seen teachers end up in a very worse position than they started because oh. they wanted to pick up a little side hustle. Don't join an MLM. Shout it from the rooftops. Do not ever, under any circumstances, join an MLM because if something sounds too good to be true, it is. I feel like saying to people like, if at all you stopped and thought like, oh, is this an MLM? Then yes, it is. If yes, that crossed your mind, it is. So I've seen multiple teachers. Right. I've had clients like be like, oh yeah, my girlfriend sells this thing and she got me into it. I'm like, stop, stop. No. And there's very few times I will put my foot down as an advisor. I mean, it is my job to give advice and give right. guidance, but- Again, I am not someone who's going to tell you what to do. You're a grown ass adult. That is one time I was like, no. 
No. You stop that right now. Because it's they're predatory. They're yeah. predatory and they're scams and they put people in a worse position than when they started. And teachers are the last people on earth I want to be wrapped up in something like that. Well, going back to what you were saying about protecting yourself first, I really love that. And I, I love that mindset because I've seen this meme on, on Instagram and, and kind of going around and, and it talks about how you're replaceable at work. Like, you 100%. know, if, if something happens to you or, or God forbid, like you die, like that job posting is going to be up within 15 minutes. Like it's not even like what you're giving Mm -hmm. towards the job is not being given back to you. So I love that idea of protection, like your benefits. And that's hard for all people, but especially teachers who I think are so used to putting themselves way behind. Mm -hmm. So the idea of being like, all right, before I go buy those pencils, before I go do any of these other things from my classroom, let me stop. Let me take care of myself. Make sure I've got Mm -hmm. what I need to have to be the best, you know, the healthiest, like Mm -hmm. you said, the best like me that you can be. Mm -hmm. Now, what about when it comes to investing Mm -hmm. and or retirement? Is there anything tip wise that you would give teachers specifically? I feel like Mm -hmm. Again, like when it comes to just being women, investing Mm -hmm. is something we're not, it doesn't feel like it's a world made for us, I guess. It feels like Mm -hmm. it's a very man, you know, going to talk down to you kind of thing. So (laughs) any tips you would have for, for that? Right. And, you know, obviously, you know, I legally, I cannot give specific recommendations. Um, (laughs) And also just because, you know, even teachers as a whole, obviously, every personal situation is different. What I will say is people assume that, okay, I have the benefits. I have the 401k. I have a pension, you know, some people pensions are something that's quickly dying away as well. But some think they have a pension, they have 401k and don't think about it. Always make sure your employer is like matching your 401k. And if they're not, that means you need to put that into a separate account. And just make sure you're exploring beyond options. Because when it comes to asset building, meaning that, you know, the money, your net worth, essentially, the money that takes over when your income stops, when you retire, there's the short term, medium term and long term. So the long term would be something like the 401k, which you can't touch until you're 59 and a half, unless you want fees, and it has a huge tax penalty. And not fun, but you know, it's important. It's an important piece. And the problem is a lot of, and this is not a problem specific to teachers. A lot of, you know, I see this in a lot of civil servants, public, public servants who, you know, have the stable job, mm-hmm. especially in like the public sector. Like, all right, I have my 401k, I'm set. When in reality, it's just one piece because you need to manage the tax burden and you mm-hmm. need to manage the timeline. So there's short term, which is the liquid stuff, which is, you know, what's in your checking, what's in your savings. And then there's midterm guaranteed assets. So these are things, you know, you would be putting money into to touch at your, in your 30s, 40s, 50s. Okay. And so these are the kinds of assets that you're going to be pulling to pay for your child's college. These are the assets you're going to be pulling to purchase a new home. These are mm-hmm. the assets you're going to be pulling for those middle life events. And then there's your long term, there's your IRAs, there's your 401ks, etc. All of that is difficult to manage on your own. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that teachers are short, their time is at a premium. <laughs> yes. And I would encourage any and all teachers to work with a professional to make sure that they are, again, perfectly protected, meaning remember that human life value that we spoke about earlier, making sure that their benefits fully protect them, making sure that they're putting money in the short, medium, and long-term buckets, and making sure they're balancing their tax burden because 401ks are very heavy in terms of taxes that you're going to pay on them. And one thing that I tell all of my clients, not just my teacher clients, is that we are at a historic low point when it comes to taxes. And 
judging by the fact that we might be paying for a war soon and might be, you know, all these things that are going to get very expensive very quickly. My hunch, again, it is not a guarantee, but my professional hunch is that taxes will be getting higher, meaning that that 401k money is not going to be worth as much because taxes will be higher. And the same thing with inflation. Inflation is a very hot topic. So I know teachers, because we do not make a lot of money, they are very conservative with their money, meaning Mm -hmm. not prone to risk, not wanting to put something into the market. Right. And that is understandable. And you can absolutely, I consider myself a very conservative financial planner, but at the same time, shoving all of your money into a savings account. So either into a 401k that is, you're not, you can't touch till you're 59 and a half and is going to get taxed all hell or in a checking account, which is for all intents and purposes, just as good as stuffing cash in a mattress. Right. And losing, and losing to inflation, you're just losing money. Mm-hmm. And It is because people like teachers, we do not have the time, we do not have the energy because we're busy off saving the world and educating (laughs) generations and being warriors and heroes that we're not sitting down and setting up these systems to make sure money is going in places that are going to be beneficial to us. So I think that's the real teacher specific thing in that time. Mm -hmm. Time is at a premium. And so they should be talking to professionals and saying, this is what I need. And we need to set up systems so I don't have to think about it on a day-to-day basis. Because it's the same thing with the savings. Making sure that if you have to think about your savings every single day, you're not going to do it. Right. Because you're not going to be able to set up that pattern. So for teachers, speaking to a professional, setting up a strategy, both for savings, for growth, managing your taxes, managing your benefits, you can put that burden on someone else. People like us exist. <laughs> you know, like right. professionals exist to do that work. And frankly, I find that, you know, the financial services in many schools, like, because I know some schools offer mm-hmm. those kinds of services. It's not always the best. You owe it to yourself to find someone who personally works with you. And you deserve to find someone whose personality jives with yours, who understands where you're coming from. And, you know, you can't always guarantee that when you're just kind of put in front of a person. Again, beyond the classroom, you need to think about your life and your protection and your retirement and your freedom. That's worth going and finding someone to get that done for you. And there's a ton of different kinds of professionals in the world. There's those like me that don't take a fee. There's also some that do take a fee. There's some like me that are commission-based. There's some that are not. There's some that work for large firms. There's some that work for small firms. There's some that are independent. Whatever makes the most sense for you. You could find them. You deserve to find them. I love that so much. Thank you so, so much. I feel like you have shared so many awesome little tidbits. I was excited before we started talking. And like, just as we kept going, I'm just, I I just, I'm so happy and excited for people to hear this because um, I think a lot of what you share is very reaffirming to teachers. And that's nice. It's nice to feel that way. Can you tell the listeners, like, Mm -hmm. if they wanted to learn more, where can they find you? Is LinkedIn the best place? Absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn. That is where you know I post there daily. I post links to, you know, what I'm doing in terms of so I don't even think I actually went over like what I do specifically <laughs> yeah, at my firm besides being an advisor. <laughs> So along with being an advisor, I'm also a managing associate here at Strategies for Wealth, as well as, as well as the director of social media recruitment and college engagement, which means that I'm hiring. Yay! And it means that I am also managing our college internship program. So I'm hiring college students and I'm hiring full-time advisors, as well as always taking on clients. And I post about personal finance, wellness. I post about my career changer story. I post about setting boundaries. I post about 
you know, my career journey. And so if this was inspiring to you, if this was, you know, you want to hear me speak about these topics, um, that is the best place to get that information from my LinkedIn. And will anything I post on our LinkedIn through Ambitious Ed or even on our other social media, I'll make sure to link to your LinkedIn. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I hope we can. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Oh, I'm so glad. And I hope we can probably chat again because I feel like there's so much more we could get into. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. Before you leave us today, know that you're appreciated and we know you're doing everything you can. Let's stay in touch. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at RealTeaching101 or email us at RealTeaching101 at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Ambitious Ed. Thanks for listening today and we'll see you next class.